Want to experience Christ United like never before? Download our app today. You can watch live and previous messages, take sermon notes, get calendar updates, find giving options, and more. Just go to your app store and search Christ United. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on our church, check out ChristIsLove.org. Or you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by following at ChristUnitedMB. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's message. I want to ask you something. As you're sitting sitting down right now, have you ever heard someone ask the question, could this be a sign that it's like getting really close to the end, right? You ever had somebody ask that? And it might be because of things that are happening like in, in Russia or in Iran, or it might be because of an earthquake in Nepal or because of wildfires in California or flooding in Texas um, or because of a, a school shooting in Parkland, Florida. But whenever things happen, people begin to ask the question, could this be a sign that we're getting close to the end? And, in, and behind that question, there is this thought that is right there with that question, which is because if it is, if it is, it's going to change some things for me. It's going to change some priorities. It's going to change the way that I live. And I'm going to want to make sure that if it is, that I am ready for that and the people that I love are ready for that. So if you've ever asked the question or heard somebody ask the question, somebody's going to jump in and answer it by saying, oh, man, don't worry about it. I mean, you might have to worry about like... Um, greenhouse gases and climate change that might be something you have to worry about but you don't have to worry about this kind of religious coming um, of Jesus you don't have to worry about that other people will, who are students of prophecy will begin to talk to you about uh, all kinds of things and signs and starting with Jerusalem uh, in, in 1949 the state of Israel being reinstated and they'll go through and talk about the the 10 European nations that'll have to come together to to be those 10 crowns on the 10 horns of the beast that comes out of the sea and as the those things are being explained and described, you're kind of like a little overwhelmed, but you're at a place of saying, okay, does this mean it is? I mean, what is it near the end? And so what we're going to do today is this, we're going to clear up all kinds of confusion. And I'm going to ask you to just go to one place. And that is to what Jesus said. And so a few weeks back, I think it was on the 11th of last month, on the the sixth sermon in a series called All In. If you want to go back, I really encourage you to listen to it. We just went to nothing but the words of Jesus in what's called the Olivet Discourse. And that's where Jesus, it was on the last week of his life, it was on Tuesday of that week, that Jesus told his disciples exactly what they needed to know about the end. So we're looking at what Jesus had to say about the end. And what's interesting about that Olivet Discourse is this, is that it's recorded in all three of what are called the Synoptic Gospels. Now, if you don't know what that means, um, there are four Gospels that tell about the life of Jesus in the Bible. Three of them look very much alike. They're called the Synoptic Gospels because it's from the same view. They're seeing, they're seeing Jesus, and each one of them offers some different details. So we did that in the book of Matthew, chapters 24 and 25. That's where I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles today, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and I'll tell you what verses we're in as we're going through this. Now, as you get ready to start diving in, I told you a few weeks back that we would revisit this when we got to the same event in the book of Mark. That's in Mark chapter 13, all right? We're going to stay in Matthew chapter 24, uh, just like I told you we would. But, but Mark chapter 13, if you've been following your reading, how many people are doing the reading every day? Do that. That is awesome. Lots of you are. That is phenomenal. We all are reading through the Bible together. Go on to devotions at ChristIsLove.org and just pick it up and start reading. 
Because you will be reading or have read through Mark chapter 13 tells the same story of what Jesus said on that day. Now, we pick up a little piece that we didn't have before when you're in the book of Mark. Now, see, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, if you've got your Bible there, you can read where it says that, that while Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, that his disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? Well, in Mark chapter 13, verse 3, the same account Mark gives a little more detail. He says that the disciples who were there with him were Peter, James, John, and Andrew. There were four disciples, he said. And he also points out that they were sitting right across from the temple. They, they, were, they were on the Mount of Olives looking over at the temple. And here it is, probably late in the afternoon, on Tuesday of the week in which Jesus was going to be crucified. He's sitting with these four guys. And they're asking him, when will the end come? Now, if you were reading with us or you were with us last time when we were sharing about this, um, we told you what Jesus' answer was. He said, there are going to be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and all this stuff is going to happen and you're going to be persecuted. You're even, people are going to be put to death. But the end isn't quite yet. He said, you're going to see all kinds of things happening, but here's how you'll know that the end is right there. In verse 15 of chapter 24, um, of the book of Matthew, Jesus said this, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, let the reader understand. Now, we told you we would come back and revisit some of this stuff because how many people are like, let the reader understand? I don't understand. What is he talking about? Daniel was the one he had prophesied all the way back about 500 years. It was about 530 years before um, Jesus came. Jesus, Daniel had been um, praying over the people of Israel who had been in exile, and he was asking for God to help deliver them. And what had happened was that the angel Gabriel had come to Daniel and revealed to him something. And that's found in Daniel chapter 7, if you want to find this and, and just jot it down. Starting in verse 24 through 27, we have what's called the 70 weeks of Daniel. Now, anytime that you want to talk with me personally about that, or we're going to have some Bible studies on prophecy, which we've done a number of times, we can talk more detail about it. But let me just tell you, in verse 27, it comes down to this. He said, God said, through the, the angel Gabriel to Daniel, here's what's going to happen. Jerusalem is going to be desecrated. Um, this desolation, this terrible thing is going to happen to Jerusalem, ultimately that's spoken about at that point. And Jesus said, look, when you see that, you know that it's right there. It's right there. It's getting ready to start at that moment. That's when it goes from you got some serious stuff here to super high intense, be ready because it's right there. It's just right there. Now, now since that's what he said, Jesus was saying, when you see this abomination that causes desolation, stand, stand in, in this holy place, you're going you're gonna to know that right then you need to start getting ready. And man, you need to be super ready because you're getting ready to face some stuff. In verse 21, he says that there's going to be this great tribulation. The, the word is great distress that you read in, in that version. This great distress that's going to happen at that time. 
And he goes on and starts talking about the great distress that will be happening. And he's saying, during that time, don't you believe it if somebody tells you he's here or he's there? Because Jesus said, when I come, it's going to be just like lightning, verse 27, that you can see in the east. That, I mean, it comes from the east. It's visible in the west. That's the way it's going to be when I come. He said, there's going to be no doubt about it. And when I come, it will be with power and great glory, and the whole earth will tremble at it. And there's going to be no doubt about the fact that I've done it. At that time, he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to send the angels and gather up all those who are mine. So it's a pretty simple and pretty beautiful and pretty profound thing that Jesus says. So then Jesus said this powerful little statement where he said, in, starting at about verse 32, he said, I want you to learn this or, 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 or learn this lesson from the fig tree. When its twigs become tender and the leaves come out, you know that spring is near. And in verse 33, he says, uh, even so, when all these things, or when you see all these things, he said, you know that it's near. It's right at the door. The next verse is the verse we said that we we're going to give you a lot of, of, of in attention to. It's where he says in verse 34, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And then in verse 35, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, if you're glazed over a little bit, just tune into what he's saying. He's saying, look, I'm telling you that when this happens, when the, when the temple is desecrated, he had just told them before this ever started that every single stone in the temple would be would be laid down. Not one would be left on top of another. It was all going to be destroyed. Jerusalem was going to be decimated. It was going to be a, a horrible thing, he said. But when that happens, you're going to know at that point that it's right at the door. Now, he said it would all happen within his lifetime. Now, for you who have, if you are students of prophecy, if you listen to people who teach in seminaries with doctoral degrees, or you listen to people who teach in, in churches in the area, or you read books, or I don't care where you get your information from, if you listen to radio programs, or if you watch television shows, how about we just agree on something? There are thousands of people with thousands of different views, right, about this. I don't want you to even believe me. I just want you to believe Jesus. All right? And Jesus said, it's just real simple, and I do want to tell you that what I'm getting ready to tell you right now is what the church has believed to be true for about 1,800 years after Jesus said this. This is what the church has always believed was true. In the last couple of hundred years, a lot of crazy teaching has gone out. Okay? A lot of crazy teaching across a broad spectrum that has been taught. So I'm just wanting to say this, what I'm telling you is what has been believed for about 1800 years. Okay. Now, now it's been believed for over 2000 or right at 2000 years, but I'm saying for 1800, it was just about the only thing that was believed. So here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, it's going to happen before this generation passes. It's going to be right at the door. In 70 AD, the emperor Titus came into Jerusalem and did exactly what was prophesied by Daniel. Jerusalem was destroyed. It was laid low. Today, if you go to Jerusalem and you look for the temple, there is not a single stone left on another. 
what's called the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, um, there at, outside of Jerusalem. That was a retaining wall around the Temple Mount. That's not a part of the temple. What Jesus said happened just as he said in his lifetime. And so Jesus was saying, guys, when you see this, you need to understand, I could come at any second. But then in verse 36, if you're following along, he says this interesting statement. He says, but about the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son. He's talking about himself. He says, I don't even know the day that it's going to happen. He says, only the father. And then he says in verse 37, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be. In the days of the coming of the Son of Man, he said, For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and swept them away or took them away. He said, That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. He said, Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other one left. Two women will be grinding at a handmill. One will be taken and the other one left. He said, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, he said, and this is somewhere around verse 43. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Now, here's what has been believed from the beginning of the church until now is that Jesus was saying, guys, in my generation, it's going to happen. And from the moment that this prophecy is fulfilled, I could come at any second and you're not going to know when. Be ready. Now, currently, there's a teaching that's been really propagated a lot in the last uh, couple, of, well, mainly in the last 150 years. It's been around for a couple of hundred way back. There were a few people who said something like this, but, but that's the teaching that says that, that after that, after he comes back, there'll be a time when you will have to really watch it because deception will be so high and you have a chance to be sold out to the enemy and you'll be under great, that those who serve Jesus will be persecuted greatly for serving Jesus. And the government systems around will be a government systems that are so contrary to what God says that if you obey God, you're going to be in threat of being punished by the government for obeying God. You're going to be in a place where the financial systems of the world are going to be set up in such a way that if you try to honor God, you're not even going to be allowed to participate in those financial systems. You're going to be at a place where people will be so deceptive that you'll look at what looks good and it's really bad and what looks bad and it's really good. And even in the religious world, it says at that time, there will be people who will be acting like they're really good, but in fact, they'll be very evil. So you have to be extremely cautious and extremely diligent, and you have to really be careful to make sure you stay devoted to God because you'll be tempted on every side. You'll be persecuted in every way. And that time, that great tribulation period, will happen after that. But for 1,800 years... That thinking almost never entered into anybody's thinking. Everybody just understood this. No, Jesus said, as soon as that prophecy that I'm telling you will be fulfilled in my lifetime is fulfilled, starting then, that's the way the world's going to be. It is going to be in a place where you are at a spot that you had better be extremely cautious. 
You had better be extremely devoted. I could come at any second. And when I come, what I'm doing is I'm coming to destroy evil. I'm coming to destroy evil. I'm not coming to destroy my children. I'm going to take my children to myself, but I'm going to get rid of all the wickedness in this world. As a matter of fact, I'm going to destroy the world, the heavens, and the earth are going away, and I'm recreating everything, and I'm getting rid of evil. And I'm going to make it as I intended it to be in the beginning. He said, I'm going to do that. So that's what has been believed. That's what is clearly taught. And why? And how do you know that that's what Jesus meant when he was on that mountainside? You remember that Mark said that on that mountainside, you had Peter and Andrew and James and John were up there. John, one of those guys, later that week on Thursday of that week, John actually wrote this and recorded it, that Jesus said to his disciples, he said, in John 16, is where he recorded it. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Same word, tribulation. You'll have great tribulation. He was speaking to the people who were right there then. In this world, you will have trouble. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be struggling. All kinds of things are going to happen. You've got to watch yourself. You've got to stay devoted. You've got to stay on what's important. He said, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Later, John wrote this, and this is interesting. John saw that prophecy fulfilled. This was, Jesus was speaking this in the 30s, in 70 AD, Titus came in and destroyed the temple, everything had been fulfilled, and John knew it's right at the door. It could happen any second. And here's what he wrote. Um, I'm sorry, that's, we're not going to go there. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, dear children, this is the last hour, he said. And as you have heard that, there, that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. The Antichrist is the one who sets themselves up against Christ and goes against him and, and a, a counterfeit of who Jesus is. And he's saying, look, we're in the midst of it now, guys. You can be deceived now. You can buy into the devil's lies now. You can be in a place where you can forever lose your soul now if you believe the world around you instead of believing the God who created you. Do, you. do you get the point? John is saying, guys, we're in the last. He didn't say we're in the last day. He said we're in the last hour. And he's saying, and right now, you're in a place where you've got to be extremely conscious about being devoted to the one who gave his life for you, to the God who created you, and to doing what he says is true and he says is right and holding on to that truth because there's a lot of deception and there's a lot of mess in the world around you now. He said, this is how we know it is the last hour. Again, that has been believed since the beginning of the church from John himself writing that all the way up till today. It has been this clear picture that guys, at any moment, he could say, I'm wrapping it up. I'm not going to deal with it anymore. I'm going to get rid of all those who do evil. I'm going to take those who love me to myself. So you've got to make sure you stay close to him. Now, I want to tell you what that did. Y'all tune in because this, if you read Scripture and its description of the early church and what the people were like, because they believed that, and there's no doubt they believed that, nobody, nobody who reads their Bible thinks anything other than they believed that Jesus could come tomorrow. Their entire existence was built with the assumption that he could be here any minute. And you know what it caused? It caused them, they had an intensity about their love. 
they loved intensely. They loved Jesus intensely. They loved God intensely. And they loved each other intensely. They forgave on ways that other people couldn't conceive of forgiving. Listen, they gave to each other in such a way that nobody counted their own possessions as their own. They just loved with a great intensity in their love. And, and in addition to that, y'all, there was an extreme urgency about their mission. They just said, we've got to get out and let other people know. We've got to get out and let other people know. And then there was an immediacy about their obedience. It's like they didn't think about obedience as something they would learn to do one day. Obedience is something they did right that minute. I'm not going to go one minute without obeying what God is telling me. It was immediate for them because there wasn't time to put that off. And so I want you to think about what difference there was for the way they live and the way we live today. Paul told Timothy that in the last days, people would be lovers of themselves, not lovers of God. We would be the kind of people that just go ahead and just compromise. And we, we aren't devoted to that, that, that intense kind of love for God and each other, that immediacy about obedience and that urgency about the mission. It's because we don't have that same sense that they had. There was one moment. Now, you guys, how many people are, are under, let me think. Man, if you're under 20, raise your hand if you're under 20, all right? For you guys who are under 20, love you so much. This one might not be as familiar to you as it is to some who are over 20. But there was one moment at about 8.46 in the morning that gave that feeling. And y'all see if y'all can remember it. Now the second plane hit, and people realize this isn't an accident. Something's really happening. Oh my God! And things started getting scary. There's some evil. By the time that part was happening, y'all, here's where we were. Who can remember it? Who remembers where you were? Who remembers an immediate, listen, who remembers an immediate priority shift? Everything changed. In, in an instant, you knew what it was to have an intensity about your love. All of a sudden, the only thing that matters is I got to call the people I love 
and people over which I had petty disagreements and I've chosen not to forgive because I'm holding out until they show a better face or whatever I was doing. All of a sudden, all that didn't matter. And it's like right now, now's the time to forgive. Now's the time to love. Now's the time to reach out to the people that I love deeply and care about. Does anybody remember that feeling? It's like all of a sudden there was an intensity about your love, an intensity about your love for God. I mean, everybody's crying out to God, God, you know, I mean, like, like all of a sudden I'm realizing this is the most important thing in all of my existence and nothing else matters right now. And beyond that, the immediacy of obedience. How many people remember that all of a sudden it was like, it started mattering how I'm living my life. I realized suddenly that there is something evil at work here. There is something that's very dangerous and this something evil that is at work here could take my life. And as this something evil that is at work around us could take my life, I want to make sure that my life is where it needs to be in relationship with the God who created me. It's immediate. I need to obey now. I don't need to obey later. I don't think there are many people who in that moment said, you know what, I think I'll go out and commit adultery this afternoon. I think that everybody's thinking for just a second, for at least a few hours, God, I better get it right. There, may there, be, there needs to be an immediacy. And, and then how about how many people felt this? There was an urgency to this mission that anybody that I love, I want to make sure they're okay. Does it, anybody remember that? Anybody that I love, I want to make sure they're okay. I want to make sure that they are safe from what might happen to them. But I also want to make sure that they're okay in their relationship with God. It's an urgency to the mission. Does everybody get the picture that you had all those things for that moment? And how was it and why was it that these guys were able to have that urgency? Not just for a moment. How long did it take us? It took us about some to just that afternoon. And others a week or two and others a year or more. But how long did it take us to get back to our complacency to where instead of an intensity of love, we're intensely committed to all kinds of stuff that will burn and rot and fade and don't matter at all. How long did it take us to get away from immediacy of our obedience to where it's like, well, I'll get it right one day. Right now I'm enjoying my fun. How many, how many did it take a, a while for you to get away from the, the urgency of the mission? Like I'll, I go from desperately wanting everybody I know to know him to a place that, well, now, you know, maybe I'll share with them next month, next year, sometime. I'll do it. And we lost it, but they didn't lose it. And you know why they didn't lose it? Because these dudes had sat on the mountainside beside the son of the living God, and the son of the living God said, I don't even know. The father hasn't even told me. It could happen any moment. And don't you for one second, for one day, think that it won't. He went on and even told him in verse 45 of chapter 24. He said, who then is that faithful and wise servant whose master has put him in charge of his servants to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master comes and finds him doing so. I'll tell you the truth. He'll put him in charge of all his possessions. But in verse 48, he says this. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master has been away a long time or is staying away a long time. And so he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. What? Listen to what he's saying, y'all. Tune in. Jesus is saying, guys, watch out. 
Because you're going to be tempted to be heightened awareness and super urgency. And you're going to tend to have intense love for a little while and immediate obedience for a little while and urgency about the mission for a little while. But after it's been a little while, you're going to get to the place where you're going to be tempted to say, he's been staying away a long time. And you're going to get slack. And so in verse 50, he says, the master of that servant will come on a day that he does not expect him at an hour he's not aware of. And he will take that servant and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why did Jesus give that kind of urgency? Why did he say, don't you for one second think that you can get your priorities back onto this world? You've got to keep your focus on what really matters. Why? Because not even he knew when and he's saying, it's going to happen, and you've got to be ready every minute of every day. You need to live every day with that level of intensity. And John went on to write, he ended up being exiled on the island of Patmos when there was tremendous persecution. Y'all, what happened under Nero and the, and the, the Roman uh, emperors at that time was just horrific, what was done to Christian people. And, and, and John himself was island, on, on an island called Patmos, and he was writing to seven churches in Asia Minor. And you know what he's saying to those seven churches? by the inspiration of God you know what Jesus actually said Jesus is saying this to you churches he was saying to those churches you have become lukewarm and complacent and you're compromising and you're getting into sin and immorality and you're getting caught up in into your wealth and your stuff and your mess and you better get it right and you used to love me passionately and love each other passionately, but you've lost that first love, and it's time for you to return to the first love, or you're going to be in trouble. Come on, get back to the intensity when you realized that it was any moment. Does everybody get the picture? Get back to the intensity that you had at first. And that's when he launched in, the Lord Jesus launched into the revelation. And his intention in that revelation was not to set aside some kind of timeline that would make people think that they've got months or years to wait. His intention was to say, it could happen any minute. You get ready now. And so with all that having been said, with all that having been said, I just, I want to ask you something. If you ever lived like that besides that few minutes on 9-11, if you ever heard Tim McGraw's song about a guy who's, who's got cancer and he's about to die, and he, he says, you know, he asked him, what was it like when you got that diagnosis? He said, well, I went skydiving and I went Rocky Mountain climbing and I went 2.7 seconds on a bull man named Fu Manchu. Y'all remember that, right? If somebody doesn't know Jesus and doesn't realize the urgency of where this thing is headed, 2.7 seconds on a bull man named Fu Manchu might be where you go. But the next few things he said were just powerful and profound. He said, I loved deeper. I spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness I had been denying. And someday... I hope that you'll get a chance to live like you were dying. I, I hope that someday you'll get the chance to live your life with that kind of intensity to where you realize this is imperative. Right now, I want to love with an intensity as though this is my last day to love. I, I want to obey with an immediacy as though this is my last chance to get it right. Y'all tune in. It's my last chance to get it right. I want to love with that intensity. I want to, I want to 
obey with that sense of immediacy. And then I want to live my life in such a way that there's an urgency about the mission. I don't ever want to get back to that complacency where it's like all the people that I love, how important is it that they know him? How important is it that every person I love be in relationship with the one who can give them life and who can protect them? Who wants to live like that? Anybody? Um, you're kidding me. Anybody? But there's one other piece to the way they live that you might have missed. If you notice that early church, they did not live... I used to think about it. I used to think that, that, man, if you really believe all this stuff is true, then your life would just be this really kind of hopeless misery. It's just the opposite. When you live with an intense kind of love, an immediate kind of obedience and an urgency about your mission, you're on an adventure, man. And you're on an adventure and you are headed towards something that's glorious and beautiful and full of joy. Peter wrote about it this way. Peter, in the first letter he wrote, read the first about nine verses of his letter. The first one that Peter wrote. Peter was on the mountain with Jesus. Y'all remember that? And he said, look, I want to tell you what this is about. I want to give glory to God because you and I have been reborn. We've been born into this, this new birth, into a hope that can never be taken away from us. An inheritance that will never spoil or fade. An inheritance that's held for us in heaven and in the meantime we're being shielded by the power of God until he can come and bring it all together and in this we greatly rejoice we greatly rejoice man we aren't we aren't dreading it we're looking forward to it he's going to come and get rid of all evil he's going to come and give us paradise man we are we are looking forward to something phenomenal but in the meantime, we greatly rejoice in what he's given us and the love that he pours out into our hearts and the, the opportunity we have to be a part of this, you know? And he says this in verses 8 and 9. He says, even though you do not see him, you love him. He's, he's with the Father right now. Even though you don't see him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Y'all... They live with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And he said, we greatly rejoice, even though for a little while we may be suffering grief through all kinds of trials. He said, we might be going through tough, but we are full of joy, man, because we are waiting for him. And when he comes, man, it's going to be awesome. If you've ever watched the, the movie um, Left Behind, um, the one thing I would say about Left Behind is it, it kind of picks up that, that new way of thinking that this is something that all happens in the future and, and we're not going through that now. I just want to tell you, if you ever watched Left Behind, you thought like, man, that was an adventure. Those people are living some intense love right there. Those people... Their obedience is immediate. They, don't, they, aren't, they aren't hacking around with all this, this complacency and mediocrity. They're like owning the game, Right? And these people have an urgency about their mission. And these people have a joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. It's like, man, there's something there. God's saying, I want that for you now. I want you to live that now because I could come back at any second. And so anybody here who's getting to the end and you're going like, but wait a minute. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. I mean, Jesus said it could happen any minute, and he didn't know what day or hour it would happen, but it's been a long time. Peter wrote this. First Peter, 
No, 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 3, I think, somewhere around there. But he says this. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, people will be scoffers will come, he says, scoffing and following their own desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But then in verse 8 of that letter he's writing, he says this, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, tune in. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. How many people here realize that God wants you to live every day like that? Loving intensely, obeying immediately, pursuing the mission of sharing the love of God with the world urgently, and being filled with a joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. There is not another day to get ready. There's not another minute to get ready. I invite you to this altar to get ready now and stay ready. Every day until he comes, we invite you to stand. Thanks for listening to this podcast by Christ United. If you'd like to respond to today's message, or if you want to share how God is using this ministry in your life, please send us an email to media at Christislove.org. Or you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by following at Christ United MB. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you.